Hello, gentle listener. Uh, I'm going to assume you're gentle for the rest of the show, just in case you aren't. Please get in touch, even if you are. Anyway, I'm talking nonsense. That means it must be Sunday. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or via the Starburst Family Podcasts. And my name is Ed Fortune, and you're listening to The Bookworm. Uh, I'm here with my co-host... Dal! Hiya! Hello, everybody. So on today's show, we are going to recommend some books to you for Christmas. Um, and we are also going to look at books. Uh, I'm going to talk about The Darkest Part of the Forest and... I'm going to talk about Tesseract by Alex Garland. So we've all got all those lovely things coming up in the show today. Across the world. 24 hours a day. This is Fabrian International. So it's that time of year, and by that time of year, I mean we're actually probably asleep while the show is airing because it's Christmas! Oh, the C word. You did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's that, that winter celebration where you give gifts to each other. Um, and obviously there, 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 is, there, there are normal gifts and then there are better gifts and better <laughs> gifts are always books. Um, That's actually true. It's completely true. Properly, properly true. Give the gift of books because you know you, why? Why give? Why give socks when you can give someone a world? Oh. Um. So yes. So there's all sorts of really cool stuff out there. Um. Firstly, I'm going to suggest if you've not read *Insanity Justice* by Anna Lecky, uh, read *Insanity Justice* by Anna Lecky. What are you doing? What are you doing listening to this show? Go and read <laughs> *Insanity Justice*, uh, and also read *Insanity Sword* because it's also out. Uh, sci-fi novel won a Hugo. Not that that matters because all sorts of things have won a Hugo in the past. Um, but yes, it's good. Um, same goes with Cameron Hurley. Read Cameron Hurley's *God's War*. Um, ignore the. Ignore people who are going, this is feminist sci-fi. Who cares? Uh, it's What's wrong with feminist sci-fi? Yeah. Exactly. Why it's, is that a reason not to read a book? Because people are idiots. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's got an agenda. Yes, it, it's got an agenda where, where she's created this incredibly dense, beautiful world which is full of consequences of centuries of actions and centuries of stupidity. It's like she's created an actual world. That's... Ooh, you know, it's really, really good. You should definitely read it. Um, what else? Um, obviously, obviously, a lot. Of, I think a lot of people when they go Christmas shopping, they they do this whole thing where they just go. I don't know. I'll pick someone I know, which is why Terry Pratchett sells so well. Terry Pratchett sells so well for two reasons: one, he's brilliant; two, <laughs> two people know who he is, and he has a new book out every Christmas. Yeah. Uh, though, though, though this year it's a little bit different. And they're generally they appeal to most people in some way like it's completely varying ways for every person but there is a, a definite appeal in all of those books you're going to be entertained by some aspect of it they are they're a good kind of ah 
present choice. His new one is a, a selection of essays from his career. Oh. Um, and it's been out for a while now, and I got it for... Well, but we might talk about it at some point. We might talk about his journalism in general uh, at some point. Um, but I got it for... I got it a couple of months ago now as a, as a, as a gift. Because mm. um, the other thing, weird thing about Terry Pratchett is there's quite a few people I know who are like, I can't buy it, I had to be bought it. Because <laughs> they're so what? used, they're so used to having it as a birthday present, or ah. as a, you know, because there'll be someone in their life who hasn't a clue what to get them, but they know they can get them a Terry Pratchett book. Ah, that's clever. So, so there's that whole thing. So anyway, I got this as a, I got it as a gift. I buy, buy Terry Pratchett books as well, but I, I, I got it as a gift. It was lovely, but um, it's full of essays, and some of them are really sad because, Aww. because obviously Terry's not very well, and that kind of brings the whole, the whole situation. Anyway, that's a, a slip of the keyboard, I believe, by Terry Pratchett. Um, it's very good indeed. Uh, Neil Gaiman has several billion books out this time around, I seem to understand. <laughs> um, writing machine. The man has turned into, into a word machine recently, hasn't he, the last couple of years? Well, it's also the fact that... I mean, I think, he always has been, but really, going for it. I, I think there's also been a thing where he's, he's had this situation where he's been... Some of the stuff he produced was a, was a few years ago, but now it's come into prominence. Um, we, we've not also re- publication cycle. Also publication cycle. Mm. Well, we've not reviewed Ocean at the end of the lane. Um, Have you not? We haven't. Oh, maybe we should mark that for my next show. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we, we should we should talk about it at some point. I'm not sure it's a brilliant Christmas present. Uh, I yeah no I wouldn't go for it as a Christmas present. It's not if you're expecting that you're just giving someone a a, a game and novel, you're not. Um, obviously, literally, yes, you are. Um, but it's not. It's yeah. It's not. It's not winter reading. No. Um, and generally, presents. You're looking for something kind of uplifting. My my brother did a, a classic, an absolute classic, a number of years ago. My father's a marine engineer. He, he he used to work out at sea. He's retired now, but he used to work out at sea. And uh, what we would do is, before he'd go on board, we'd give him a pile of Christmas presents. So he could have a mini Christmas and we'd do the telephone thing and it'd be lovely and he'd open the gifts and it'd be lovely. My brother, for some reason, bought my dad the perfect storm. storm. Oh! oh no! It's about a boat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 So, you know, please, please do think about Yeah, have a thought. Also, utilise utilize bookshop stuff. Um, my friend, uh, one of my best friends from home, Martha, she, on her gap year, worked at the Waterstones in Bath, and she was like, oh, I don't want to work Christmas Eve. And they were like, you do. It is the best shift. They were like, the last half hour of, of time, <laughs> men run in and they're like, I need a present for my wife. Apparently they forgot it was Christmas tomorrow. Because um, it's not like they've had 12 months notice since the last one. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, right, um, what? What, what does she enjoy reading? Well, she doesn't really read. Lovely. Get her a scarf. Um, but they, it is absolutely brilliant. Like, it is such a good shift. But, yeah, utilise utilize mm. bookshop owners as yeah, well. Yeah, what, what, what I would just say is, if there is somebody in your life who works in some sort of profession, like being a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or a teacher, I'm just going to say, avoid getting them the humorous insert title of profession here book for, for this year's Christmas. Because yeah. there's always like, humorous stories of lawyers 2014. <laughs> no, just no. The person <laughs> who spends 
50 hours a week sat in an office doing whatever professional job it is they do, be it lecturer, teacher, dentist, doctor, lawyer, whatever, they don't want to spend Boxing Day reading about it again. <laughs> I would I would add a slight caveat to that. Um, Secret Confessions of a Policeman by Matt Delito. The chances are that if the person in your life is a police officer, they'll have read the website. Mm. Um, but it's brilliant. So if you have, if you know someone who is involved in the legal profession but isn't a police person, and for some reason they haven't read Matt Delito's work, read the the book by Officer Delito because it's great fun. And you sit there and you go, "Wow, the police have a hard job." Not no. not, not that you didn't already know that, but you know, it's like, "Wow, it's a really really." I'm not again. I'm not sure that's a good Christmas present. However, mm, I think Christmas presents like people people do go for the humor books. I think in general they are just a bad idea. There are some, don't get me wrong. There are some. That are like awesome. Uh, like fifty I have shades of grey. Fifty shades of grey, amazing. <laughs> I have um, the the book of from um, the reasons why my kid is crying blog. Um, so like, I got that for Christmas last year, and every time I open it, it makes me giggle my bum off. It's so funny, um, and that and it's still funny. And Simon's Cat, acceptable humour book. People will laugh at it, but most of them, you look at a couple of pages, put it down. And then it Never just becomes, go back to it again. Yeah, it, it it becomes a bookend, doesn't it? Really, yeah. like rather than actually something that's for your enjoyment. I did write a pitch for a book that was called something along the lines of "Christmas Stocking Filler That Will Allow Me to Pay My Bills." <laughs> Title by E N Author, uh, and then just fill it full of generic ideas. And then wrote the pitch, and then thought I'd better not send this to me. Well, I'm assuming we can we can expect a sequel to all the various little hobbity um, humorous. Yeah. Pastiche things that have been out the last few years, as they wring the last out of that that parody yeah. availability. Though interestingly, the sodit is by Adam Roberts, and and Adam Roberts, of course, you know, is now, uh, you know, he wrote uh, Betty recently, um, he wrote Jack Glass. Um, we like Adam Roberts. Who Adam Roberts? The, his collection of sort stories. We like Adam Roberts, but you read the sodit and you just go, ah. You know, because it is quite a by the numbers straightforward parody. All those Harry Potter, Barry Trotter ones as well. Oh. Mm. But on the one hand, there, there, there must be someone who reads them and enjoys them, though. Yeah, if you, if you think that someone will genuinely enjoy it, then fair enough. You've got that mm. present because you're thinking about them. Um, but I do think a lot of the time it's just a, a go-to. This is funny present, and a lot of the time they're just they're, they're not. I think with the sodder, it is a genuine try at a little bit of pastiche, but it's Lord, it's it's the Hobbit, so it's such a it's such a well known novel yeah. that you kind of you either have to do it that way or not, or, or just you know, go home. <laughs> you, know, you know, either either do it properly or don't. Mm. Um, but mostly, you're just like, oh, why? I should, when it comes, I think books for present buying, you have to think about the person a bit. But I think book for, for pre- books for presents are a wonderful opportunity to, to open up something for people. Mm. So, that, like, genuinely thinking about, I think that they will like this, but it gives you the opportunity to give people something new. Um, I've done it with my brother several times. I've bought him books that I've read, and I'm like, I, I think he'd really enjoy it. But I know that it's, he wouldn't even look at the blurb. Like, it's not the sort of thing he'd ever pick up for himself, but he'd love it. Uh, a book that I found to be a great gift just in general and works quite well is Robert Cargill's Dreams and Shadows mm. because it's Gimenesque, um, even though it really isn't. But you know, it's the closest. You know, it's within the same postcode. 
sort of thing. It, it, it's gaming esque enough that if you know someone who likes gaming but is looking for something new and a bit different, they'll they'll eat it up and they'll they'll go straight into the next one and you know mm-hmm. you've opened up a new author for them. Um, the the person I don't recommend because I've done this, I've made this mistake is Lavi Tidal. I love Lavi Tidal's work. Actually, I have a love hate relationship with Lavi Tidal because <laughs> sometimes some of the stuff he writes, I'm just like, this is brilliant, I love it, and then sometimes I'm just like, oh, you've disappeared at your own bottom in the first two pages. Wow. Um, and I, he's very much a Marmite author. He very much is one of those. Even though I'm indifferent to Marmite, Marmite, I'm not indifferent what? to Lavi Tidal. Uh, completely, completely. Nobody's indifferent to Marmite. You think that now, but when you eat it, you'll really love it or really hate it. Like that's the thing. It, it, it's, it's yeasty stuff that goes in your bread. But back to books. But back oh to yeah, books. sorry. Um, Marmitey, Marmitey books. But, but yeah, I, I think the thing that the point Dell was making about <laughs> know your audience, know your recipient of your book is very true. Yeah. Um, completely, mostly off genre. My mum always asks for books for Christmas that she can read when she's sitting by the swimming pool on holiday later in the year. Oh. Uh, and I've slowly, over the years, started introducing things a little bit more genre. Just very slowly. Yeah, a bit more, a bit more. Yeah. Because I think um, people, like, sometimes people are like, oh, I need to buy something for my nephew. He's 13. Um, uh, oh, he doesn't really read. I'll get him a comic. And they kind mm, of... Lego Technic. <laughs> Lego. Um, and you I can think, rarely go wrong. I th- absolutely, in terms of, like, get get kids on graphics. Yep, brilliant. Um, but I think automatically people, because they've heard of Marvel, will go for, like, X-Men or... Spider-Man or something whereas actually there's so many awesome things that a 13 year old would like better um, because you can get them things that are more adult um, but still like appeal to them so I think if I was if I was catering for 14 year old boy who I didn't know that much about and kind of just enjoys generic stuff rather than rather than say X-Men probably go for something more like 100 Bullets Hundred Bullets is a good choice. Yeah. I was thinking Judge Dredd. I was thinking Judge Dredd America. Mm-hmm. Um, Zenith again is a good choice. Uh, even though it was written in the eighties, it's still entirely relevant. Yeah. Um, you know, a pop factor style starlet has superpowers um, and has to deal with the consequences of his legacy yeah. of superpowers and also the legacy <laughs> of music. Um, with Welshman with firepowers, so it's cool. Um, <laughs> cool. I would actually, I would say for uh, your thirteen-year-old, the book, the author you should avoid is Alan Moore. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, too no. much, too much, too much. Sixteen, hit <laughs> sixteen to eighteen. I'd maybe go for like it was sixteen. League of Gentlemen, eighteen. Go for Watchmen. Like that's kind of when you're starting to get into the realms of people who where it's going to be okay and where it's going to work. You won't appreciate each panel, no. and the point is, you need to appreciate each panel for for uh, Watchmen to work mm-hmm. properly. He said slightly pretentiously. Um, if from seven to fourteen. Anything produced by the Phoenix, yeah. Um, but check first because um, some of them are quite young and some of them are quite old. Corpse Talk is great. I like Corpse Talk, <laughs> where this 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 this, this necromancer digs up um, famous people and talks to them. So and it's it's done in a it's done in a quite a fun way. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you know, he's dug in, dug up the the corpse of Mary Curie, who is glowing, um, <laughs> and and then you find out about Mary Curie, and for like seven to ten year olds, it's great fun. 
Um, but yeah, no, there's loads of stuff. So many things. And especially when you get into the realms of graphics, it doesn't end. Like, the, the giant beard that was evil. Ah, Anyone is going to enjoy book. that. I get really annoyed on Big Bang Theory. Um, there's an episode where Penny asks Stuart for a recommendation for her 13-year-old nephew. And he recommends um, Constantine. And yeah, what? it's like, what? Clearly the people who've written this haven't read that. Or, or maybe <laughs> CBS what? have a Constantine show. And they're just trying to get... <laughs> Because I think that might be the key. Yeah, it might have already been in the pipeline, I suppose, yeah. Well, um, anyway, we should, we should go and we'll be back after these messages. You can catch us on social media, talking about it, um, <laughs> as Radio Bookworm. So we're on Bookworm. We're on Bookworm as Radio Bookworm. No, we're on. We're, we are on Twitter as Radio Bookworm. We're on Facebook as Radio Bookworm, and we're on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. You can type in Radio Bookworm into Mixcloud, and you can find us. You can also go on to StarburstMagazine.com, uh, click on the podcasts, and you'll find us there as well. You'll also find us on iTunes. The station is can also be found as FabRadioInternational.com, um, as we keep saying, and all their social media stuff is there. If you want to get in touch. Feel free. If you're up right now and you're listening to the show, send us a send us a tweet, send us an owl or a raven, um, use the whispering trees, that sort of you know, use the communication methods that you're most comfortable with. Accept uh, smoke signals because we're in a tiny box somewhere in the middle of Manchester. Um, and I've forgotten semaphore. I've forgotten semaphore. Actually, because we are we are in a TARDIS, uh, regular listen, listeners will understand what we mean by a TARDIS. You can also send send us a, a Gallifrey in distress. Books. Also, <laughs> that made me jump. <laughs> oh, books. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I've just gone on the thing. I'm very sorry, gentle listener. Apologies. Uh, so, a little while ago, we talked to Holly Black. And I was very lucky enough to, at the same time, have just been sent her latest book, which comes out in January, called The Darkest Part of the, S- the Forest. Now, The Darkest Part of the Forest is a standalone. So if you're, saying, <gasps> if you, if you're looking at Holly Black's work and you're like, oh, there's a lot of Spiderwick Qu- Chronicles. There's a lot of Spiderwick Qu- Chronicles. Um, <laughs> this is actually an interesting place to start. The premise is fascinating. Firstly... It's um, it's suburban fantasy rather than urban fantasy because it's set in suburbia, uh, which is is quite fun and I quite enjoy. Um, essentially, what we have is we have a small town, uh, and in this small town, they have a boy in a box, and that's their tourist attraction. You know, some places have um, a ball, like a huge ball of twine. Mm. This place has a fairy prince with horns. In a glass case in the woods, <laughs> and you know, and people go and look at the sleeping fairy prince in the woods, uh, and you know, they, they they try and make various suggestions to the sleeping fairy prince in the woods. And the thing about this forest and the thing about the local town is it's infested with fae, and there's fairies everywhere. And the thing they don't talk about. You know that whole thing where there's towns where there's a radio, where there's a nuclear power station just down the road, and people don't really talk about the nuclear power station, but everyone knows about the dangers. Yeah, they have fairy woods. The people who live in this town have fairy woods <laughs> with evil fairies who kidnap children. Um, the main, so, the main character, one of her friends, is actually a changeling, uh, and we're introduced very early on where fairies turn up, 
steal this woman's child and then she basically beats them around the head with an iron skillet and says <laughs> and, and says right then um i know what you've done and they're like okay here's your son back give us awesome back and she's like no no you've 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 disrespected the people who live here we're not tourists you don't do this to us we're keeping your son as well so there's twins but one of the twin is in fact a fairy being Aww. wandering around um and you know the the locals don't talk about the fact that a percentage of the tourists just vanish. Amazing. You know, people <laughs> just turn up and they, they vanish, or there's a new statue in the park. It, it's that sort of a it's that sort of a town, um, and but the, you know, the, the locals are like, well, that's for tourists. You know, we know to wear our socks on backwards and our eyelids <laughs> on. We we know these things. It's their uh, own fault, really. It's their own fault, really, and it's that weird. It's I, I think I, I, I think one of the ways I can describe this is Glee without singing, but with fairies. So it's that I've got to get out of this town. I've got to get out of this town before it kills me, because it will, because it's infested with monsters. <laughs> so the main plot, um, we, we have a family dynamic that going wasn't on. The plot. No, that's the background. Wow. Um, <laughs> The main plot, you, you, we've got um, we've got the boy in a case, and we've, it's not a spoiler to say that the boy gets out of the case fairly early on. And the main story, we, we, we follow several protagonists, mostly, mostly follows the, the strong female lead, and she spent her childhood with her brother, her brother sang, and she would, he would sang to the fairies, and the fairies would stop, you know, torturing a tourist. Um, and then she would hit them with a sword until they went away and that's how they spent their childhood as it's an adventuring heroes wandering through the forests beating monsters until something happened and that is a spoiler something happens and they sort of grow up and interactions with fairies rarely go well interactions with fairies when you think you can win and have the better hand definitely don't go well no um, mixed in with all of this we have high school drama we have that whole interaction of young people trying to grow up trying to make their, uh, a thing for themselves with the additional com- uh, the, the additional complication that the supernatural is everywhere and touches their lives um, so we have firstly we have this this arcing plot with a you know, fear prince and a monster and swords and a quest and that that's going on throughout the story also we have an emotional journey about growing up and what it is to be a grown up then we also have a series of terrible terrible life choices that just run all the way through and there is no single character that does something sensible at some point I I put the boot down I was just like what are you doing Um, you know better that's clearly nuts and the reason these people do the wrong thing for sometimes for the right reason is because of love um but it's because of love, it's because of pride, it's because of all the basic human things, all the basic fa- human things that fairies don't have. Um, the darkest part of the hot forest, well, I'll leave you to work out where exactly is the darkest part of the forest, but it's not on a map. It's on an entirely different type of diagram. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Holly Black's writing style it takes a little bit of getting used to. You have to be in it for the kind of this is this is very much a relaxed holiday read, if mm. you see what I mean. It's it's one of those it's one of those kind of gossipy kind of 
personal drama novels. So if you're expecting a fantasy adventure where people punch fairies, there's a bit of that in there. But mostly it's you know, it's about the mundane and how the mundane interacts with the fantastic. Um it's a it's a, it's a cracking, rollicking fantasy adventure. And at the same time it's also a personal drama and a personal journey. Um so yeah, it's the the darkest darkest part of the forest. Um, but yeah, fairies. No, that sounds awesome. And do we know when it's out? It is out mid-January, apparently. They, they tell me. It's out on Orion Books. Um, and it's by Holly Black, who is a number one New York Times best, best-selling author. Um, I had a lot of fun. I was a little bit disappointed towards the end. But that's more to do with my expectations as to where it was going, rather than the actual mm. story itself. Um you know, it's kind of like, is there a surprise twist? No, there might be. Um, but yeah, it's quite fun indeed. Even though you're saying standalone, it sounds like something that could easily become a series if, if she wanted, like, well, it's the world ve- she's created. It's very much like some of her other works. She's very experienced with dealing with those sort of stories. So, and it's clearly the sort of thing that fascinates her as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, it does, it, it doesn't, I don't think, I can't see it connecting in can't see there being a sequel on the other hand i can see other other stories in that sort of a world yeah um i think we're starting to see more and more stories where with, with fairies just being you know being in the pub saying hello um, <laughs> and we've had this since i mean we've, we've had this since the the, the what the, the 80s the whole urban fantasy mo- movement yeah and then you know the original urban fantasy movement was about everyday fairy tales and it's mutated into something that's slightly different this is very much suburban fantasy. This is this is a sort of story where they you know they they beat a troll and then they go and have meatloaf. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's very very much uh, American suburbia, um, but with monsters, which is quite nice. So I think coming up next, we have all sorts of exciting things for you. The world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. So, coming up next, we had a chat with a lovely author. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Genevieve Cogman, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you very much. I'm very flattered to be here. Tell us all about the Invisible Library. Well, it's about a secret organisation of people who go around stealing books from alternate worlds in order to save the universe. And it also involves dragons, narrative tropes, great detectives, and other fun stuff. It's an interesting mix of ideas. Where does that come from? I've always been fond of putting together different genres. I mean, for everything from when I was reading Sherlock Holmes and Tolkien when I was about seven years old, to getting onto things like Roger Zelazny and modern urban fantasy and other combinations of things as I got older. And people have compared the book to Doctor Who, and in itself, Doctor Who is a huge mishmash, isn't it? It's quite sapphire and steel in places. <laughs> I'm very flattered by that. I used to love sapphire and steel when I was watching it. I still do. <laughs> what is it about British sci-fi and dimension hopping? I honestly don't know. Maybe because we like Victorists. 
we like being able to visit other worlds but coming home to our own in the end. Why is steampunk so popular? I think it's just plain, well, to be honest, it's just plain fun. I mean, I like Sherlock Holmes, I always have done. I like some of the steampunk tropes. I like being able to throw in interesting weirdness. So I think it was just a case of me picking something I enjoyed having fun with. Can you describe your journey into publication? Sorry. Um, well, it started off with the idea of the book collector for the Mysterious Library. And it sort of went from there. At first, I was just writing along, to get, working with the characters and seeing where they went. But after, but as I got into it, I started developing a plot and structure. And I also realised that there was room for a lot more development in the whole scope of the story. And I do hope there will be more. I've signed up for two more books at least. That is, I've signed up for two more books. I hope there'll be more. What should we expect with the sequel? I'd like to explore other genres, but at least some more of the story is going to take place in Vale's world in the steampunk area. But since I've got all the rest of the universe to play with, it seems a shame not to use it. The structure of the setting is very interesting. What can you tell me about the conflict between chaos and order in your novel? I, part of it I, I owe to Terry Pratchett, who has... Well, he's got his auditors, remember, who is an ultimate order... But you've also got the other end of things, which is the elves with narrative and um, parasite, parasitism and using human creativity. And I like the idea that humanity bobs along somewhere in the middle and that it's important to keep that way, that we need a bit of both. We can't have either ultimate reality or ultimate fantasy. We need both of them. Has the rise of the e-reader doomed the library? I don't think so. I think that ultimately physical books are... Well, I can look around my own flat and it's full of books. I can't really imagine a world without books. I have my own Kindle. I have quite a lot of e-books on it and PDFs and other fun stuff. But I don't think we're going to lose physical books anytime soon, or at all. If you found yourself stuck in the Invisible Library, where would you like to be stuck? Well, the place tends to be organised by books from different worlds on different subjects. So I think I'd like to be trapped in an area of worlds of about the same historical period as our own, and probably fantasy and science fiction. What non-literary sources do you count as inspiration? Um, well, my hobbies include patchwork and quilting, which I suppose you can see as putting different genres together, <laughs> knitting and beadwork. Um, out, but other than that, a lot of my life is around books and writing role-playing games, computer games, my day job as a classification specialist with medical coding. Well, that's not really quite so much inspiration, I suppose. Why are so many fantasy authors also tabletop gamers? I suppose it's not that far a step between creating a world in your own imagination and sharing a world of someone else's imagination or sharing your own imagination with other people. What advice do you have for the 16-year-old version of yourself? Mm. Work harder. Seriously, I was just looking back at things I've done. There are an awful lot of areas where I could have put more effort into it and got a better result. So I would just go back and say, work harder. You, it's a good idea. If you were trapped on a desert island and only had one book for company, what would it be? The Journey to the West. Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Chaos or order? Um, chaos. Truth or beauty? Truth.
truth. Genevieve Cogman, thank you very much for coming on the show. This is Fab Radio International. I'm going to start telling you a little bit about Tesseract now. Um, sorry, a bit taken by surprise by hand being pointed. Um, Tesseract. <laughs> Good radio. <laughs> Um, Tesseract is an Alex Garland novel, which I I kind of came across in, un, in an unusual way. Um, Alex Garland wrote a, a video game uh, called Enslaved, and Andy Serkis did one of the voices. It was a few years ago now, like maybe four or five, um, but it got loads of advertising, but then I actually don't think the game did very well. But I really wanted to play it. The, the, the footage I'd seen from the adverts and things looked really interesting. But the, the copy I found... In, in the shop it was a kind of a, a box set and it was Enslaved written by Alex Garland a novel written by Alex Garland and um, the soundtrack and I assumed that the novel would be the novelization of the game so didn't read it because I was like I'll, I want to play the game and like the book won't let me down whereas if I read the book then play the game I'll probably be annoyed um, but actually it has absolutely no link at all. For some reason, they've just whacked an Alex Garland novel in with this game. Yeah. Um, but it was it it was a, a, just a big surprise because I went in expecting kind of fantasy novel, um, and actually found myself in a a real world story. Um, it's Alex Garland, so automatically we've got kind of quite gritty language use and things. And there's a kind of he does grime very well you know when you're reading something and you, you feel the grime in 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 your brain from what's coming from the page um but it's without trying to give too much away um it's about it starts with a man sat in a hotel room waiting to have a meeting with a very powerful man in I think oh I think Thailand um but yet waiting for a meeting with a very powerful kind of underworld lord, essentially, um, kind of mafia type. Um, but the man, the man who he's meeting, he knows is like very, he's all about manners and being like very well dressed and well kept. Um, just in order to kind of just keep his position all the time. As soon as you meet this man, you know you're in, in the, the presence of, of a powerful overlord. Um, this man is sat in this hotel room, and just by looking at his surroundings, because it's an odd hotel to be in, it's run down, none, none of the other rooms seem to be in use, the man behind the desk is greasy, um, it's like kind of the, the cesspit of, of hotels. So he thinks it's quite unusual that he'd be meeting this man there anyway. But as he's looking around the room, he starts to piece together that the last person in the room was taken by surprise and shot in the room. And so he starts to realise that the reason he has been brought to this room is because the man is coming here to have his henchmen shoot him. Um, the next section of the book, we actually find out that the, the man, the, the overlord man, um, is really annoyed that someone's booked that hotel for his lovely new employee 
Um, and he's like, I, I like this man. He's always very polite. He's learnt certain customs. He's learnt how language works um, so that you show respect when you use certain sentences and how you talk to people. He's like, it's the first person he's worked with in a really long time that he's actually got on with. Um, all his henchmen arrive. They get out the car. They go to the hotel room. Um, guy by this point is having a complete freak out and borderline breakdown on his own. Um, opens the door and shoots the overlord. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then essentially the rest of the novel is just how all of that goes for him, really. Um, because, yeah, you, you don't just shoot the head of the mafia and just go for tea afterwards. Um, but it's it's in, in true kind of Alex Garland style. The, the writing is awesome. It's not just a linear storyline. We find out there'll, there'll be a bit that's the story and then the next section is just learning a bit about a character that we haven't even met yet. Um, and then there's like parables throughout and people kind of giving life lessons through talk, talking about like life in like kind of life on the plantations um, and kind of is, is all these life lessons that these people learned when they were kids um, but we find them out kind of just through that same format rather than them just relaying it to someone else like oh my mum used to say this we we learn we get to see it from the point of view of that person being a child being told by by the mum and so the, 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 the switching with time frame is lovely um the integration of it into the storyline is is wonderful because it's so disjointed and that's just it's unusual and it often doesn't work but it does it really does in this i kind of I, i'm i was gripped um i read it on the train once on my way to preston and when i got off the train i had to walk to to where my rehearsal that i was there for was taking place i just carried on reading as Sounds I was walking, good yeah, you just—I was just kept going because I wanted to know what was next. Like because I was starting to find out all about this character when she was a little girl. Didn't even know who she was yet. Had no idea what relation to the story she had. And so I was just like, "Who is it? Is it this person's wife? Is she going to come in later? Is it that person's wife? Like who? who yeah, <laughs> you know, when you're just desperate, desperate to find out how this person slots in." to this puzzle of a story that you're finding. And all the characters are engaging and... Absolutely, yeah. Um, you... Like, even the the driver of the car um, that the Overlord is kind of coming to the, the hotel in, you find out all about his story before the guys even got out of the car. Um, and the, the, they're taking the journey and because they're late, and so he's... Because he's all about, like, manners and appearances he's really angry that they're late and there's a chance this guy's just going to get shot because he's made them late um, even though like there was a traffic jam he could do nothing about and you get to find out just all about his upbringing and the, like, the, the stories his mum used to tell him when he was little and, and all of them play into working out who, who this big mafia man is as well um, and kind of why, where this fear has come from and this legend he's almost sown for himself so is that why it's called Tesseract because it's lots of things that slot into each other I would assume so but I'd genuinely not thought about that Hmm. clever clever Alex Garland (laughs) I do like like titles that sometimes you sit there and you go why is this called this yeah (laughs) 
Um, wh- why? And it's, it's sometimes you know, sometimes you sit there and you go, could they just not think of a title? <laughs> uh, and sometimes you go, oh, very clever, and I see, <laughs> yes. To name your novel after your, the writing style rather than the story is quite interesting. But I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of oh, the, the stuff like that. The stuff, you know, because you get books called Paradim and this sort of thing, <laughs> where, where it's all paradox. Always have a paradox and paradox. Oh, I see. Um, well, there was no paradox. That's the paradox. paradox. Ah. <laughs> Obviously, the Watchman. Um, <laughs> but, um, yes. Cool. So, what's it called again? Who's it by? Oh, it's called Tesseract by Alex Garland, and it's very recommended. Even though I haven't actually ever seen it in a bookshop, the only time I've seen it was in that. But I assume it must be. It, it can't have just been brought out to be sold with the game. If it has been, then that's a shame. But maybe play the game as well. Uh, and coming up after this bit, we're just going to talk nonsense about books because that's the entire point of the show. the world 24 hours a day this is Batman International the books that tie in with video games are quite rare um, yep the one that I have on my shelf on rotation is um, Planescape Torment. Planescape Torment is a 90s video game uh, based on Dungeons and Dragons Planescape World. Mm. Um, and the entire plot is you wake up you wake up in a morgue uh, and there's a floating skull talking to you. Um, of course. And you've tattooed <laughs> onto your back a series of instructions. Because you're essentially an immortal reverend, uh, revenant. So you die and occasionally you forget who you are, but you keep going <sighs> through these cycles. And you live in a world that is a nexus point above the realities. But rather than being a kind of clean Doctor Who, Gallifrey-style place, it's a fantasy city that's all grubby and grimy. And you can walk into, you can walk into hell if you take the wrong path and you walk through the wrong doorway you'll find yourselves in one of the many hells or being beaten up by angels because you've accidentally walked into the wrong sort of heaven um, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's a great video game Torment, Torment is beautifully written and comes from a time when there wasn't that you know, it's top down isometric so there wasn't much in the way of uh, voice acting there is voice acting in it but it's all about the writing um, so they produced a book for it and the book takes you through one path. And the great thing is, the path it takes you through is not the best path to play the game. Ah. They are better paths. It gives you better ideas to the story of the Nameless Guy and all the rest of it. So yes, like like Tesseract, it, I, I sus- have you played the video game as well? Or It's on the list. Right. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, ultimately, I haven't had a lot of time for gaming recently. Well, I, I kind of, I have, but I've been playing a lot of Minecraft. Um, don't laugh. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to playing the game, but yeah, I'd I'd be. I'm one of the reasons now why I'm looking forward to playing the game is to see if there is a reason why these two things have been like bundled together. Um, but yes, yeah, 
it's it's not very often though that you do as you said that you get that connection between it, video game and book it's that whole multimedia kind of experience Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm. did that that thing where the video game for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which I think you can still get on the BBC website I think it's still amazing it's absolutely it, it, I mean it is based on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy but it tells an entirely different story to the radio play or the movie um, but that's how Hitchhiker's Guide works. Every iteration is different. That's the point. Exactly. If somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, but that bit wasn't in the book and they're talking about the film, you can slap them, it's legally allowed. But the point is is that Adam said several times that he's trying to create iterations of the same story um, because A, because of time travel, and B, because why not? Um, and you get a different... I find that people who have played the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game have a different take on the book's and all the rest of it and mm. also find things really frustrating because it's got some really bad puzzles oh wow that? like really really tough tough you've got to get this right at this right point kind of thing wow uh, have we run out of time yes was it because we had a very long interview yes okay <laughs> we, we better flee so um, thank you for listening it's a goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me Sense your long-lasting mandate. Worn by men, loved by women. What was that? I don't know! They've they've changed all the jingles and it tells you nothing about them, so you have to guess. Oh, guessy jingle. Let's oh, actually it do just that. says 80s too, and there's like seven of them. Oh, we should try the, all of them, but not right now. Anyway... <laughs> Goodbye, I've been Ed Fortune and I've been talking to you about books. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me, Dell, also talking to you about books. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>